you are listening to the Nirvana Podcast. Season 2, Episode 5. Non-album tracks, Part 3. Bleach. Hello everybody, welcome to the Nirvana Podcast. My name is Sietse. And I'm Jiritja. And today we are going to talk about songs that could have been on Nirvana's debut album Bleach, but are not. No, they're not. And um, yeah, sometimes that's a shame. Yeah, and sometimes it's not so much. Yeah, Exactly. Um, but before we're going to focus on those uh, on those songs, we have to look back at our previous uh podcast i think in yep. which we discussed songs that could have been on uh, nevermind but are not and also uh, we asked uh, people uh, to send up uh, to send us many things and <laughs> basically anything <laughs> just uh, basically send us anything. something <laughs> um, we haven't heard from michael stipe yet oh that's a shame he's probably still working on his version of old age and when it's done he's gonna send it to us but uh, yeah. hang in there michael just go yeah for that it. must be the reason why he uh, hasn't been in touch uh, with us at all. And also we did not receive any uh, singles of uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit. But? We did get pictures of yeah. a single of Smells Like Teen Spirit. So uh, Exactly. <laughs> yeah, one of our listeners uh, sent that. And uh, so uh, thanks a lot. Uh, at, at least we, we got something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and at least we know it exists. I mean... <laughs> We could have started a whole conspiracy theory about how Smells Like Teen Spirit, the single, actually was never sold and doesn't exist at yeah. all. But now we know it, it does. fake news. Um, sent to us by a uh, listener that often uh, comments on uh, what we're doing. And uh, that's uh, really nice. Thank you for that. And thank you for sending us this. And uh, thank yeah, you also to all of the uh, listeners who uh, regularly uh, send us uh, emails and messages and stuff like that. We really love uh, hearing from you. Absolutely. He said that this was one of his favorite episodes uh, so far. So that's uh, that's pretty good. Even though we did make some mistakes, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, because we discussed um, the song uh, Talk To Me. And perhaps we shouldn't have. Because we can't be sure that um, the song was written before uh, Nirvana uh, went into, into the studio to record Nevermind. Yeah, true. They only started playing it live later that year. So perhaps the song... Hadn't been written yet. And there was another song that had been written and we kind of forgot it. it <laughs> that should have that been on says the list. something about whether we thought it should be on the album or not, I guess. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, we're talking about a, a song called Token Eastern Song. I, I don't think we should listen to it and discuss it too much now um, because, well, I think we can agree that it's not good enough to be on Nevermind. No, I don't think so. It's one of those half-finished songs that never really came to fruition. So, no. You know, it, it also proves that it's there's some randomness to our selections. <laughs> yeah. And I think that goes for um, this episode about songs that are not on Bleach even more so because there's a lot of stuff to choose from and you can always have a discussion, uh, discussion about whether or not it's a Nirvana song because some of those songs are from periods in which there was a band but it wasn't called Nirvana yet or when Kurt was writing songs with other people before he um, teamed up with Chris so you could say well it's not yeah it's a Kurt Cobain song but it's not a Nirvana song so there's all sorts of yeah things you can pick from or not or 
And also we exclude all songs that have been released on Incesticide. A lot of those songs are uh, outtakes from the Bleach era. So that that makes it even even more random. But uh, if you want to hear our view uh, on those songs, just go back uh, in the in the podcast timeline and uh, check out our uh, two part episode about uh, Incesticide. And uh, there you can find everything we have to say about (laughs) those songs. So yeah, exactly. And I think it's it's worth mentioning that these three episodes that this is like the third one of sort of started out with us saying like, there are some songs that we never really discussed or we mentioned, but we didn't really discuss in depth and they're relevant to discuss or we think it's interesting. And that turned into making three episodes that put them in their respective time frame. Uh, but it's still basically our selection of songs that we think are interesting enough to talk about and that we never really did before. So... Um, so that being said, uh, let's get started with the first one. And you might call this the very first Nirvana song, uh, or at least uh, Chris Novoselic uh, called this uh, the first Nirvana song. Exactly. Yeah, it's one of those songs that Kurt had on the first demo tape he made and that really sparked interest from uh, from Chris when he got it. Way back in one of our very first episodes, uh, we've already uh, shared that ancient version uh, uh, of it. So uh, we're not going to do that again. Uh, let's first uh, listen to um, the version that was officially released on uh, Sub Pop 200, which is a compilation album of the Sub Pop uh, label. And um, back then, Spank Through sounded like this. Yes, and that was the third officially released Nirvana song because um, it was uh, released after the Love Buzz and Big Cheese uh, single, but before uh, the Bleach album um, came out. For some reason, they did not include it um, on Bleach. I'm not sure why. I think it's definitely good enough. I was surprised about that as well, Um, especially when I, I read up about it because on... Like some of the songs that we are discussing later on, they were deemed not good enough by the band. In this case, I can't really find anything that that points to that. Uh, maybe you have, but I haven't. Um, and since they included Love Buzz on the album and then later on also Big Cheese, like it already being released is not a re- reason to not put it on the album, I guess. So yeah, I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, it would totally make sense to have a song on a compilation album and then also put it on your own album. Yeah. I mean, that's also not a reason to exclude uh, exclude it. And no, I don't think the band disliked it because they played it for a long time after this, even after um, they broke through to the to the big uh, audience and 
were, were global success. They still played it. They played it at their um, famous Reading performance mm-hmm. of 1992. Uh, I think only in the in utero era, towards the end of their career, they stopped playing it live. But no, they 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 seem to like it. All I can think of is that maybe they didn't think that it fit the album that good. Yeah, yeah. I, and it's it's that, kind of different than yeah. most of the stuff on Bleach. I agree. I was thinking of, like, if you would include this on Bleach, where would you put it? And that would be a hard one. To be honest, I think you could say the same for Love Buzz. So why not replace Love Buzz with this one? But then again, I think Love Buzz was really something that, that Sub Pop also wanted on the album. So yeah, of, <laughs> I guess of, of that course, was because one that, that, that <laughs> they was needed their to single be on there. And that was one of the reasons why they wanted to sign Nirvana. Exactly. <laughs> um, because they liked their version of Love Buzz. So yeah, I, I think in hindsight, uh, Kurt would have liked to replace those, uh, would like to have um, uh, swapped those songs. Because then he didn't have to have a, a, a cover on it. But um, I, I think some somewhere towards the end of the album, it would have been a, a nice fit. I mean, um, About a Girl and Love Buzz are like the most pop sounding songs. And this is also one of those. So yeah. yeah, towards the end of the album, maybe after Negative Creep or something. Yeah, that could have worked. Yeah, they could have just put it on as as a bonus track later on. I'm I'm still surprised that... That never happened, but yeah, maybe it, they it, weren't happy about the recording and didn't have time or didn't want to re-record it. Perhaps, but they made several versions of it in the studio. I mean, they liked it enough to put it on the sub pop compilation, which I'm guessing was also a big thing for them because that kind of compilation album was a way for them to reach uh, new fans and new listeners. Yeah. So it's like of a like a way of showcasing themselves. So. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's a, it's a better song than Downer, which was later included on, yep. on Bleach. So I agree. Don't don't really know why. But like I said, we have several several versions uh, of it. This one that you just heard, um, Chad Channing was the drummer. And the uh, uh, backing vocals are by Jack and Dino, the producer, who will come up uh, a lot on this <laughs> podcast uh, yeah. episode, I think. Um, but we have another version, and uh, on that one, uh, it's Dale Crover on drums, and he's also doing the backing vocals. So I thought, let's have a listen uh, to that. I think there's not a lot of things wrong with that version either. It has a bit a bit more anger in it, which I like. It's a bit yeah, more Yeah, it's a bit more punchy. 
Yeah, 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 definitely. I think where, let's say, the, the, the previous version that you played was more like Eric Clapton Cream 70s sound, and this is more like the Who 70s sound, just that little bit more of young, eager sounding quality to it, which I love. Yeah, and, and there are um, other songs that they lifted from that uh, demo tape that they did with Dale Crover and put on Bleach. So yeah. they could have maybe reworked it a little bit and, and used this recording uh, as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I kind of like this version better than the, the Subrop 200 version, but uh, yeah, they're, they're both fine. I mean, yeah. nothing, uh, nothing uh, wrong with that. Um, let's see, anything more to say about um, Spank Through? No, I don't think so. It's just, uh, it's one of those lost songs that, that you always hope that people find and enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. It's a nice uh, homage to a masturbating. Uh, uh, yeah, that too. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> yeah, if you didn't know, now you know. That's what it's about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And, and uh, I'm also mentioning it because um, at least it's a song that we know what it's about. <laughs> pretty yeah. sure. So yeah, that's a good point you're making. This is uh, yeah. a really clear meaning, as opposed to uh, some of the other songs we'll uh, find this episode and others. Yeah, for sure. Let's have a listen to one more version to uh, to close it off. Let's listen to uh, the way they played it uh, during their uh, BBC sessions, and then uh, move on to the next one. One more thing about this song, by the way, I found on YouTube uh, a compilation video with all of the screams that Kurt nice. did uh, ever in all of the different versions, live version. It goes on for over 10 minutes with just <laughs> the scream between the, the softer uh, beginning and then when it goes into the, to the next section of the song. So somebody is a big fan of that scream, I suppose. <laughs> cool. I should check that out. Sounds good. Yeah. After a couple of <laughs> screams, you kind of know the drill, but uh, yeah, but still, it's um, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, so next up is uh, "Blandest." That's a song with an um, interesting history, I think, because they wanted to use it as a B-side for um, their debut single, mm -hmm. but then uh, Jack and Dino, our good friend and the producer of the time, uh, talked him out of it because he said, "Well, it's not." that good of a song so maybe you shouldn't do it and uh, they listened to it uh, uh, listened to him and put uh, Big Cheese on the B-side which I think was a wise decision and then um, actually uh, and Dino thought that the song was lost because the band told him to tape over it yep. and he did 
and he didn't make a, a backup copy for himself, but I guess he did give uh, a, a tapes of it to the band members. And he was really surprised when years later it, it turned up on bootleg CDs and he, he thought it was lost and somebody had found a recording of it. <laughs> a, a really crappy recording, but still. It's thanks to that that we uh, at least have this, uh, have this recording of it and uh, we're going to check it out. Yeah. So do you think it was a good advice that uh, Andino gave them? Yeah, it's, it's meh. <laughs> I think that's the best thing I can say about this song. It's not bad. It's not a bad song. It's just, um, uh, well, to, to make that pretty obvious pun, um, it's bland, I guess. Um, there's some stuff in there that you're like, yeah. They did it better in other songs. The lyrics weren't quite finished. And if you look at the lyrics, as far as you can make out what he was actually singing, it doesn't feel like it's going anywhere. No, I think their lyrics aren't too bad. There's like some, some classic Cobain songwriting in there, like being very sarcastic, uh, sarcastic, like you're, you're, you're the favorite of my saviors and, and stuff like that. Yeah, it, it yeah. fits his catalog, I think. Yeah, true, true. But I think he's he's done better in that as well. Yeah, maybe. But um, it's, yeah, yeah. I think it's it's a good example of his writing style uh, at the time. True. Also, a line like uh, "I need you around to remind me what not to become." Yeah, that's if a that's good line. indeed what he's singing, that's what I think he's singing. There's also people who. <laughs> Who think he's singing um, to remind me when not to be calm or something like that? I think it's it makes way more sense to remind me what not to become. And yeah, I, I agree. Just I, I the like meaning that, that I uh, attached to it. <laughs> Definitely better. No, you're right. You're right. There are some good lyrics in there. It just as a whole, it doesn't really feel right yet. I guess that's that's sort of how it feels to me. I agree. Um, like you said, it's not bad, but. Kurt was writing a lot of stuff already in that time, so he had a lot of stuff to choose from. And yeah, he 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 wrote better songs than this one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I still think it's interesting that at first they liked it and then eventually when they realized that Jack and Dino was right, or at least they concurred with him, they decided to tape over it because it wasn't that bad. <laughs> no. I don't know if we explained this in a previous podcast if we did then we can cut this out but just for like <laughs> the younger generation listening to this being like huh tape over at 
tape was really expensive back in that day. And um, you could, if you wanted to re-record something, you could tape over something, uh, which you wouldn't do now digitally, but um, you could with normal tapes. You still can, obviously. And you have to remember that back in those days, uh, Nirvana wasn't a big band. Uh, they didn't have a lot of money. Um, so Neither did their label. No, exactly. <laughs> so they had to conserve their material. And, and if that meant re-recording something on the same tape and recording over what you already did, that was a possibility that made it possible to record more songs, basically. You could tape over something a couple of times before the quality really went bad. <laughs> but yeah, that was done quite often back then. A lot of uh, old uh, music and TV shows have gone missing uh, that way by people taping over it. <laughs> so it wasn't weird um, that they did that. I'm just wondering if there wasn't anything worse to tape over, or at least I assume they did a couple of sessions uh, and maybe had a couple of versions of the song. So it would make sense to just keep one, I guess. I'm guessing that this was the best version they got. They felt it wasn't good enough and then decided to uh, to discard it. Chad Channing, um, who, was, who wasn't a drummer that long at the time, he uh, later said that... Um, they had just shown him the song before uh, they started to record it. <laughs> so they never really practiced it. And that can't really be a good thing, no. especially not if you're not a very solid professional band yet. I mean, they still had stuff to work out. So I think that's one of the reasons why they said, OK, we're going to work on this song later and do it again. But they never did. No. Probably, again, because Kurt wrote better songs that they wanted to uh, put their time and effort in. Makes sense. Um, but they did play it live occasionally in those uh, early days. So uh, let's check out uh, a live performance of Blandest. Yeah, that's how they played the song live in uh, 1989. Mm -hmm. At least uh, the live version has a bit more um, energy to it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's obviously not a very good recording, but uh, I, I get a, a bit more appreciation for the song after hearing it uh, played live like this with a bit more uh, energy and a bit more feeling in it. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It, it works better like this. Yeah. But uh, would you put it on Bleach? No. If it was up to you? No. no me neither. I, I can also see why they didn't um, use it as a B-side. I mean, it's good enough for a B-side. But, I mean, if you have to still make your name, then, yeah, ob obviously you should put out your best work. And, uh, yeah, this isn't it. Totally agree. Okay, then uh, let's check out uh, the next song which also has something to do with um, the price of tape. It's called a pen cap chew.
And this is the point where we're uh, nearing the end of the tape reel. Usually we uh, make a fade out of the song ourselves in the podcast. Uh, in this case, uh, we don't because the fade out you're hearing right now is uh, what they actually did with the song. And it wasn't because the song was completely finished. The, the tape was full yep. and they didn't want to... Uh, spend any more money uh, to buy uh, an extra tape reel so that's why they had to cut the short uh, the song short and um, well the producers thought well then I'm just gonna make make a fade out and then at least it sounds like a complete song <laughs> yeah which is uh, I <laughs> it's it's such a funny way to to make that decision and and I I mean, I've I've often wondered why people have fade outs in songs. I think it's it's less common nowadays, um, also thanks to Spotify, but it used to be quite often on albums that you'd have songs that fade out. Um, <laughs> and, and maybe this is the reason for every song anywhere by anyone fading out, just basically the tape running out. We've cracked it. <laughs> well, um, on the previous song, Blendest, uh, apparently the band wanted to have a fade out there, but they didn't get it. No. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so sad. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, a fade out usually feels to me like, oh, we don't really know how to end this song. Just fade it out. And I'm, I'm, I'm always trying to compare it with other forms of art and entertainment, like what would happen if you would fade out a movie or a book or a video game? I just, it's, <laughs> I just can't wrap my head around that idea of, of what it does also for like the, the story you're telling with your art. It's yeah. Mind boggling to me, but it kind of gives the impression that it goes on and on, but we're just not hearing it anymore. So if you're ending it with like a, a jam or something like that then you can imagine oh the band went on to play this for hours and hours but <laughs> yeah May maybe if it's the last song on the album but if it isn't no nah, doesn't work for no. me sorry no, uh, but I, I i i like the the explanation you're trying to give me <laughs> <laughs> and um apart from the end how do you like uh, pen cap chew I like this, this song. The song we just listened to. I yeah. don't know if I already said the title, but <laughs> no, I don't think it is so. called Pen Kept You. Yeah. Um, one of those slightly random titles. I think the band was called Pen Kept You for like one day. Um, it is actually, in this case, in the lyrics, um, something about eating your pants. So I guess it's not that random <laughs> in this case. Yeah, I like this song. Um, it's... It's definitely sort of rough around the edges. I get why it's not on the album. I think it's not Nirvana-y enough, I guess. It has that more metal, Black Sabbath feel to it that they did show in other songs as well, but maybe not as heavy as here. But yeah, I, I, I do like this song, yeah. I'm not that big a fan of it. I actually... Kind of like it that Andino cut it short. Yeah. Because if you're listening to the longer versions that are around, it 
it kind of bores me like halfway yep. through. Yeah, because it's very very um, repetitive. Yep. But then again, I kind of like having a bit more melody and some more hooks in it, and this one, yeah, really doesn't provide that. So nope. that's that's probably why I don't like it that much. Lyrically, I think it's okay. It's like, um, yeah, it's again like an anti-authority song. At least that's how I take it. Yeah, yeah, I think it, that I, I, I'd agree to that, yeah. A line that stands out to me is, uh, kill a politician and then wear his clothes. Yeah, <laughs> good line. I mean, yeah, it's kind of funny. I mean, yeah. it's like, oh, I'm going to make a statement against, against authority. Yeah. Kill a politician. <laughs> and that's a bit too on the nose, but then, and then wear his clothes. That kind of gives it a, a funny, interesting twist or something like that. It has that slight punk rock idea to it but it's not good enough of a statement to really make an impact not no. like some of his other lyrics are kind of uh, reminds me of uh sifting you know with all these sort of statements and do this do that i am curious whether or not you think it is good enough to be on the bleach album i'm conflicted about this one because i don't think it's in this state they recorded it in it's good enough to be on the Bleach album. I think it maybe could have been if they had time to to work on it a bit. To me, it it feels like a nice duo with If You Must. Both were recorded back to back, I think, as well. So to sort of keep those two together and then put them on the album. <laughs> I think that would be interesting. Um, yeah, and for and people I, who keep keep track and think, huh, what are you talking about? Uh, if You Must uh, will be the next song that we're going to discuss. <laughs> there are a couple of songs, like something like Paper Cuts is also in, in the same vein musically as these songs. So I think there is a possibility of, of switching those around. But yeah. I think if we're just talking about Pen Capture in this recording, the way you just uh, played it, um, then I'd have to say no. Yeah, it's a, it's a definite no for me as well. I agree that it's musically you can compare it with Paper Cuts, but I think Paper Cuts provides a lot more lyrical content. Yeah, so definitely. That's why I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't trade them. Um, let's check out uh, another version of Pen Cap Chew, a version that lasts for uh, over four minutes, while um, well, the previous uh, recording we listened to is uh, more than two minutes, for reasons we've already uh, explained. Um, this is from something called uh, the uh, Ted at Fred practice. <laughs> yes, they were called Ted at Fred for a while as well. And um, I wanted to share it because it um, the... These recordings just surfaced on YouTube only, I think, last year. Mm -hmm. So that was quite something for the fans that some uh, complete new tape um, showed up. So I thought, uh, well, we should uh, we should check it out. So here's how they played a pen cap chew in uh, January of 1988.
Okay, now this time I am going to make uh, the fade out. <laughs> Aww. Uh, let's uh, move on to the next uh, track, which is called, you already mentioned it, If You Must. That that would be another nice scream to uh, <laughs> <laughs> edit together. Although, uh, if you were uh, going to make a, a clip of it, you wouldn't have that much to choose from because they pretty quickly abandoned this song. Goethe uh, um, really started to hate it. It was actually the first song of uh, one of his um, uh, first demos. And I think to put it first... You have to like it at that point. Yeah. But then later in his uh, journals, he wrote uh, a letter to Dale Crover. Uh, we mentioned him before. He's a drummer of the Melvins and also like a, a, a part-time drummer uh, for Nirvana at that, uh, at that time. And then he wrote, the first song on the demo uh, is no longer played. It is sickening and dumb. Destroy it. It is evil. In the uh, vines of uh, White Snake and Bon Jovi. In the lines of White Snake and Bon Jovi, and I don't know many uh, White Snake songs. <laughs> I do know some Bon Jovi songs, and they sound nothing like this. Exactly. I never got this mention. I think. I mean, okay, so he didn't like the song anymore. Sure. Uh, I mean, it's his song, so he can choose to start <laughs> yeah. disliking it if he wants to. But mentioning. White Snake and Bon Jovi is that just makes no sense at all. There is nothing remotely in these songs, at least. <laughs> no, no, I, I can't think of anything that resembles any of their work. Um, and I think that obviously what he meant, because he's he's been saying stuff like that and making comparisons like that more often in other songs as well, is that he found it too commercial, maybe too hair metal-y, uh, whatever. But no, the, the comparison is is way off. Just instead of saying, no, I don't like it that much anymore, he really uh, yeah. had a grudge against his own song, which is <laughs> kind of strange. Um, also, it's one of those songs that I think is about songwriting. Yep. Definitely. I mean, he, he writes lines about rhyming um, <laughs> quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, and in this one again, uh, uh, um, write some words, uh, make them rhyme. Yeah. So I usually don't think that's very interesting. 
but no. I I do like the music of this one. I mean, it's got a strange uh, a, a rhythm. The tempo is is different than the other songs. Yeah. Uh, I think we've talked it's about this before. I'm always getting confused, but <laughs> this isn't in fourth fourth. It's it's a six eighth. eighth. Yep. Yeah. And and to, to for for people who are less um, into music theory. Um, Six eighth is easily recognizable because it's six counts and um, the emphasis is on the one and the four, but the four is even more emphasized than the one. So if you'd have like a four four, it's just one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. And then you can have a three four uh, time measure, which is like a waltz, like one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And then if you have a six eighth, which is a different version of the waltz, <laughs> almost say, um, that's exactly what this song does really well because it's one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six. So, so that four has an extra emphasis. And, and if you listen again to this song, you can, you can count that in your head and you can really hear that. And it gives like that six eighth gives it a, um, a sort of a drive that, makes it just continue and continue. It's sort of a like a train on a train track that just goes on and on and on and on and, and never stops, um, which I think really works well for this song. Um, yeah, I think so too. And, and, and together with the, with the bass, it creates sort of a, a spooky atmosphere, which I, I really like. And also, um, yeah, I can't really determine what kind of uh, rhythm it is. But of course, I can hear that it's something different, and I think something different is exactly what what is lacking on Bleach. Um, yep. Especially, especially the last couple of songs, they all more or less sound a bit the same, and a lot of that has to do with the production. And they didn't have much time to spend; they didn't have much money to spend on it. Um, but it also has a bit to do with with the songs um, that they brought to the session, and I think. This one would have been really good to to shake things up. So I personally would have liked to see this one go on bleach. Yeah, yeah, me too. I agree. Um, like you said, the lyrics aren't the best ones, but what it lacks in lyrics, it makes up in music. Um, and it's not worse than some of the songs that are on bleach so no no absolutely <laughs> not so uh yeah i i would have liked it i mean it's not it's not a perfect song i think nope. it starts really good and interesting but then it feels a bit like they didn't really know where to take it no no it lacks like an interesting middle part or bridge or something that yep. gives it an extra dimension or something like that but um yeah i i, I still like it um what would you have replaced for this song? Well, there's one song on Bleach that I just don't like. So that's that would always be my my go to song, which is Sifting. I mean, yeah, you can yeah, you can leave the, leave leave that one off and don't replace it with anything, and I'd be happy. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm not sure if this would be a good song to end the album with. No, no, yeah. I agree. I do think that you could replace Sifting with this song because it also has, again, that sort of metal 
like dark, um, low vibe to it that sort of is in the same vein. Um, so that wouldn't be a weird replacement. But yeah, it's it's not the perfect ending for the album. Yeah. No. Yeah. Maybe you could put it on the place of Mr. Mustache, which I think is an okay song, but not the best. And then yeah, I, I see this song working towards the end of the album. Yeah, yeah, well. definitely. But um, I, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to say that about every song because I think the first half of Bleach is uh, is by far the stronger half. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I also would have liked it if they had uh, if we had a proper live recording of this song, which um, like we heard before, often provides a bit more energy to it. But they stopped playing this, I think, even before they went into record bleach. So I don't think it ever was seriously considered. They didn't play it live anymore. So no. yeah, they uh, they never did. But uh, I would have loved it if they had picked it up again, maybe maybe uh, towards the end of their career when they were um, playing with Pat Smear as an extra guitar player and Dave Grohl um, on drums. I think, it, yeah. Yeah. It could have really made it make it work. But yeah, yeah I agree. Felt differently, but yeah, obviously. unfortunately the song was evil. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, and dumb. <laughs> um yeah, and uh people would have <laughs> mistaken them for Bon Jovi. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can't you, you don't want that. Yeah. And if you're a John Bon Jovi and you're listening to this, uh, please record this song and cover it. <laughs> and we'll put it on the uh, on the single as a B side of uh Michael Stipe's version of Old Age. And we're going to make a lot of money. So yeah. just sing it, send it to us, and uh, we'll do the rest. Yeah, good idea. <laughs> so um, let's check out another version of uh, If You Must. Let's go for a live um, version and not a rehearsal yep. version. Yes, that was If You Must and not You Give Love a Bad Name. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when, when, when was this recording? In 1988. Wow. Yeah. Pretty old. In Tacoma. Cool. Nice. Yeah. And it, it, uh, it always puzzles me that somebody at the time made a recording of it and kept it all these years. Yeah. Because they weren't famous or big 
by any means at this point. So it's it's really cool that so much of that stuff actually survived. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It it could have been. I I know that that some venues will always run a tape from like the 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 sound area. Um, yeah, the mixing board. And sort of keep it in their own files. But yeah, on the other hand, they played like small bars and stuff like that. So <laughs> not sure who did that. Yeah, but it's really uh, it's really cool because uh, yeah, that's why we got it. They probably have <laughs> boxes full of tapes with bands nobody ever heard of again. Yeah. And uh, nobody's interested anymore. Right, so we go uh, before we go to our final, let's say serious option to put on bleach uh let's check out something else that the band actually considered putting on beans That's not it. Because it uh, it goes on for um, for about a minute or so after after this, yeah. And I think it's so funny that Kurt actually wanted to put this on the album. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've just listened to quite some songs that he had also to choose from, but no, we kind of wanted to do this one, except that the guy from the record label didn't let him. They thought he was absolutely out of his mind. Yeah, I mean, it was propagating, I think, the the label a bit uh, because they had mentioned they wanted to do like experimental stuff, and and I think we've talked about this before, like having the the uh, audio experiments and stuff like that. And a lot of those experiments are quite interesting. This is like the weirdest and least interesting out of all of them. So I can imagine Kurt maybe sort of <laughs> wanting to mess with their heads as well and being just like, yeah, this is this is what we do. So it needs to go on the album. Well, it, it, w- it would have been funny as like a, like a, like a skit. Yeah. Maybe like 20 yeah. to 30 seconds at the end of the album or maybe at the end of the first half or something like that. Yeah. To shake up the metal heads who are listening to this. <laughs> yeah. Because it's quite Bleach worked. is quite a metal sounding album. Yeah. And Kurt was into a lot of other stuff as well. So maybe that's why he wanted to do it. I don't know. But uh, let's say there was a lot of experimentation that he did that was more interesting and had less of a yeah, but what's the point of all this <laughs> feeling to it? On the other hand, I read somewhere that someone, I don't know if it's Chris or at least someone close to the band who explained about this song. It could have been Jack and Dino, I don't remember anymore. But they said like, yeah, uh, Kurt had this song that was influenced by the Vaselines and the, the story was inspired by a, a book by Jack Kerouac. If you read that and then you're like, oh, 
oh, that sounds really interesting. That could be a really interesting song. <laughs> and then you hear this, it's like, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do have a live version of it uh, lined up. No, not really. Just kidding. <laughs> I mean, it's impossible to do live. And, uh, I, uh, I saw um, um, a post on YouTube, which I found really funny. I don't know if you've seen that. Somebody who posted it on YouTube and was like, okay, I've, um, I wanted to hear what, how it originally sounded. And what he did was to slow down the entire recording. But obviously this song wasn't sped up. It's just Kurt's voice that is pitched. So if you slow the entire song down, uh, his voice sounds less pitched. But the whole song just slows down into eternity. Yeah. <laughs> so he put that on YouTube and then there's this comment underneath it, like later on with the guy who did this saying like, oh yeah, sorry, I sort of later realized that this didn't work, <laughs> but I've kept it up anyway. <laughs> I found that really sweet. No, I've never heard that, but uh, let's post that video on our uh, Facebook page. Yeah, good idea. So people I'll can go to facebook.com slash Nirvana podcast and uh, check it out for themselves. Cool. I'll do that. Yeah. So let's go to the last uh, song that could have been on Bleach, but is not. And it's actually like the perfect song to close our non-album track trilogy with because this is the one song that could have been on all of the Nirvana studio albums and it's yeah I think it's uh, one of the most beloved uh, Nirvana outtakes and uh, let's call it Sappy and we're gonna start with a solo recording that uh, Kurt made of it because that's what it sounded like more or less when they uh, went into the studio to do Bleach. Mm-hmm. And here we go. I think this is such a interesting haunting recording. Yeah, it's it's great. To me this this recording and especially because it's it's already from so long ago from from really the beginning of Nirvana and and all of the music surrounding it. This again is sort of quintessential grunge. The sound of this this sort of to me defines like that whole era and then combined with the the haunting quality of of his voice and just that that simple demo feeling um but can it's, you, can yeah. you explain why to you this defines the the era and the grunge sound because i'm thinking more of loud screaming grungy uh, <laughs> distorted guitars and and heavy drumming this yeah. is like the opposite <laughs> 
Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's it's the chord progression that makes it really grunge. I think we talked about that a bit when we discussed Marigold as well. That also has that uh, grunge chord progression that that's recognizable from the start. I think this song has that as well. And even though it doesn't have that loud sound yet, it's also in a way that Kurt delivers the song um, because I think you need to realize that for for every loud grunge band and, and loud grunge song, there was always also this as a counterpart and also the way of singing in that that dark tone of voice, um, you hear that with a lot of the other grunge bands as well. So yeah, I think that that sort of defines it for me. I kind of get your point. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, and I think it's it would have been great to put this one on the album. Yeah. Um, basically any album, but yeah. we, we're, we're going to get to that. But if they had like um, a song like this, like a really a ballad yeah. type of song that it is at, at this stage... It would have, um, yeah, really brought something extra to the table. But I think Kurt was perhaps um, a bit scary of putting it on Bleach. I mean, he had already written Polly at this time in his career, and he didn't want to put that on Bleach as well. So, I mean, he felt very anxious about uh, giving uh, About a Girl a chance. So, yeah, Yeah. he he felt that he had to make like a loud rock album, or he wanted to make that. I don't know. We, we can't be sure, but I'm, I'm guessing that's why he didn't try this for Bleach. But he always kept bringing it up, bringing it up. Yeah. in pretty much every major studio session. Uh, they uh, they gave it another try. So I have quite a lot of versions lined up mm-hmm. and I kind of want to share them all. <laughs> and I think the best way to do that is to not talk in between and tell everybody, what year it's from and what producer and what drummer and just uh, skip uh, through them until we get to the uh, version that was finally released in 1994. Yeah. So uh, here we go.
Yeah, so those were all uh, in chronological order versions uh, of the song. And like I said, in uh, 1993, I think I just said 1994, but yep. I meant to say 1993, um, when they uh, went to the studio to record uh, In Utero, um, they uh, tried it again. And um, I can make some of our listeners uh, perhaps a bit uh, happy because I have the separated tracks from this one. Ah, nice. Um, so let's have a, a listen to that and then we can finally discuss this song. <laughs> <laughs> Keep you in a jar, then you'll make him happy. He'll give you breathing holes, then you'll think you're happy. Cover you in grass, then you'll think you're happy. So that was it. So that was a lot of sappy. Yeah. And what are your and thoughts on it? Don't forget that um, to confuse things even more, it was also at one time called Verse Chorus Verse, which is another song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Okay. So um, <laughs> they recorded uh, this uh, last version you heard uh, for the In Utero album. I remember um, their producer of the al- the producer of the album. Uh, Steve Albini saying that he was very surprised that they didn't actually put it on the album because he thought it was a pretty good song. I think in a draft of the of the uh, sequencing, it was on there as the second to last song. Yeah, right. But they, yeah, they decided to uh, to take it off again, and then um, it was released as like a bonus track on a, a compilation album, uh, like a fund fundraisers. Right, a benefit uh, album, but for some weird legal reasons, they didn't put the song on the uh, sleeve of that album. Yep. I don't know why, but officially at that point, it was called um, First Course First, but yep. everybody knows uh, knows it as Sappy, and the band later um, yeah, gave it that name um, officially. Yep. Of all of these versions, is there one in particular you like the best? I think they all have their qualities. What I like most, I think, is that also this version? I mean, I, I sort of, <laughs> they get mixed up in my head, to be honest. You know better than I, which is which. Is, is this the same one as, as on the With the Lights Out compilation? Or is that a different one? The With the Lights Out compilation, it's on... Um I'm going to look it up. Yeah. 
it doesn't matter, but <laughs> it, well, it's it, not relevant. It, it, it does matter because uh, if you're confu confused, probably our listeners are confused <laughs> as well. So I, I just wanted to mention that, although I think that every version of Sappy has its merits, um, and I, I basically like all of them. I like that that moment in that version where um, it just goes back to the, the the guitar and the voice, and uh, when you listen to it with headphones, you can really hear the um, the mix because like the guitar is on one side and the um, voice is on the other side. I mean, that sort of effect things don't always work, but for this song. And in some weird reason, for me, that works. Maybe because it sort of brings you back to the original version that you started out with. But that's one of my, let's say, favorite Nirvana music moments. So, uh, hmm. yeah, okay. that, that cool. has a special place in my heart. It is a bit strange that even though uh, Kurt wanted to record his song a lot of times, but it's not that different in... no. It, di it didn't change that much after the first change between the um, solo demo with him picking the notes in the low voice and then they later made a full band version of it. That doesn't really change that much. I mean, the drum parts uh, changed a bit probably because um, Chad Channing was replaced by Dave Grohl. Yeah. But the bass line is basically the same. I think Chris said, well, I, I like that bass line, so I never changed that. The vocal delivery varies a bit. The solos vary just a bit. Sometimes they do a couple of bars as an intro and sometimes they don't. They change the key, but they never really take a different approach. The interesting thing is that it doesn't need that, in in my opinion. It doesn't need that different approach. And I, I find it very interesting that a song that was so complete from the start... Um, also lyrically, we need to talk about that as well, but mm. that they kept coming back to it um, and then abandoning it again. Other songs, you, you feel like it's not perfect yet or it's not there yet, but this sort of kept being the same. Maybe that was also the problem, that it didn't evolve. Maybe it's, it's, it's hard to say. By the way, I looked it up uh, on uh, With the Lights uh, out box set. There's the Steve Albini version. Mm -hmm. So that, that that's the one that first got officially released on the Sliver compilation album. There's an earlier uh, earlier version, and the actual recording of it that they did for Nevermind in the Sound City Studios has never been officially released. You kind of expected them to do that when they did the Nevermind anniversary edition. Yeah, but then they put on uh, yet another version, like a, a demo version for uh, for Nevermind. So that's a bit, bit weird. Um, also, an interesting anecdote about this is that when they tried to record this uh, during the Nevermind sessions, um, Kurt um, just came into the, the control room and said, I, I don't want to do this song anymore. just don't feel like it and walked off. It always gives me the impression that the song was emotionally important to him. And mm -hmm. that's why he wanted to try it again and again and again. But then maybe... It came too close, or maybe he just was never satisfied with it and got frustrated. I yeah. don't know, but it's an it's an interesting tale of a of a song. <laughs> and and actually, I I really like that Nevermind version. It feels a bit quieter, but also mm -hmm. a bit more 
emotionally charged. So yeah, I think it would have been really cool if for In Utero, their, like their final shot uh, uh, at, at the song, they would have gone back to that first approach and do it like a, a ballad style. I really like Kurt's low voice on it, but then have a proper recording of it. Maybe add some spooky sounds in the background or... It, it could have worked um, in the unplugged session and with mm. a cello. Um, Maybe have uh, Chris play the accordion on it. Yeah, that could, could have worked as well. Even though I like all of the versions and I think this song could have been on all of the albums, um, it feels like it would have fitted best during sort of the end of the Nirvana era. Um, but I think uh, that Bleach would benefit the most from it. Yeah. Totally agree. So I hope people aren't bored with the song yet because actually I have another version lined up. <laughs> nice. Can we, can we, before you play that, can we have like a teeny discussion about the lyrics? Because oh, you sure. mentioned that like yeah. Kurt maybe had an emotional attachment to it. Um, there are many ideas about what this song is about. Um, what, what do you read into it? Yeah, well, it's like... Um, personal quest for happiness i mean it's like oh if you do this then you think you're happy or if you do that you think you're happy and um yeah i, th I think that sort of reflects his own struggle with happiness and like in dumb he's wondering maybe he's just happy and in this case it's about how to, how to become happy and what people maybe tell you to do or what his own mind told him to do like oh if you only could just do this or could just could do that and then you'd be happy but um yeah the first working title of the song was sad so that's like the other side of the coin something like that mm -hmm. does that make sense to you yeah 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 i've um I, it's interesting because i've i've heard so many people talk about this and read about it and and there's so many interpretations and people say, no, it's about religion and organized religion. And Yeah, well, that, that, that's one of the ways to try and become happy, I, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's about feminism, about how women need to break out of, of the patterns and, and hmm. really um, find their own way, which I found interesting. Actually, the most interesting thing I found was the reference to Kurt's turtles because apparently he had uh, pet turtles. Yeah. <laughs> and um, if you read the lyrics of Sappy um, and you project like in your mental image a turtle, that's basically it. <laughs> because like he's in a cage and you put holes in the top and there's grass and whatever and i was like maybe this is just a song about a turtle in captivity <laughs> which i found mm. really interesting and and not demeaning at all like it's not sort of like oh uh if it's about a turtle it's stupid um <laughs> it's sort of <laughs> it sort of worked for me so yeah i found that really interesting yeah to me it feels like a more personal song than about um, turtles or feminism <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, but that's just my I, I, interpretation. I, I totally, I totally agree. I think it's it's very personal as well. And I, 
I like the turtle analogy, um, especially for that reason, because I can see Kurt like looking at, at like a pet turtle in his home and being like, okay, I'm taking good care of you, but still you're in that cage. Actually, he kept him in the bathtub, I mm-hmm. think. Yep. Yeah, true. And then it got really gross, but he was too lazy to clean it out. So he just <laughs> drilled holes in it. Yep. And or holes in the floor. Yeah, something like that. Remember. Yeah. But it was a was a disgusting house <laughs> that he was living in. And it smelled really bad, apparently. But uh, yeah, what what do you make of the uh, laundry room that he's singing about? Yeah. Um, turtle. <laughs> turtle <laughs> in the laundry room. No, I think I don't really take that to Literally, to be honest, I think that a lot of mentions of feminism actually come from the laundry room because that's sort of associated with women. Um, To me, it sort of just feels like a place where you need to be but don't want to be. Yeah, makes sense. Later, they actually uh, recorded uh, a couple of times in the laundry room studio in Ah, Seattle. Nice. So maybe Kurt knew about that and referenced that because... You know, when he was in the laundry room, he was really trying to achieve something like that. Yeah, interesting. That could well have not been a coincidence. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, well, we'll we'll never know for sure. And yeah, maybe that only adds to the mystery surrounding this uh, this song. Yeah. Now let's go to the final version because seven years ago, yet another version was released when uh, Steve Albini was asked to do new mixes of um, In Utero. He also uh, remixed this outtake. So we have a a 2013 um, mix of this song uh, as well. There's also live versions, by the way, but I think uh, we've had uh, had (laughs) enough of of, uh, this song. Um, So let's uh, close off this section with uh, the 2013 mix. Yeah, so that's about it. Oh, oh no, one more time. I, I, I get the feeling that every time I say, yeah, and that's uh, that's all we have to say about this song. And then there's all, always one more thing that, <laughs> that pops up in my mind. You are the yes, Steve Jobs of the Nirvana podcast. <laughs> yeah, or the, um, what's he called again? That that detective that always did that? Oh, uh, uh, Columbo. Yeah. Columbo, right. Then he yeah. walked off and then yeah. he came back. He said, one more, one more <laughs> thing I was wondering about. And he came, always came... Came up with the best question uh, to the suspect. Uh, Oh, that's a really old reference. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, listeners. uh, Just look it up and and see how ancient that is. That's even from from before our times, actually. We're not that old. (laughs) We saw the reruns. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So what was my point again? All right. Mr. Um, And Dino, I already said he would come up quite a lot later uh, said that uh, during one of the first attempts to capture the song with a full band that they spent the most time uh, on the drums because Kurt wanted them to sound like they were uh, recorded by Albini. Mm. So it's kind of cool and kind of nice. takes it full circle that what you might say the official and final version of the song was actually recorded and produced by uh, Steve Albini. Cool. So uh, there you have it. Uh, And of course, uh, if you as a listener uh, want to share 
with us what your favorite rendition of Sappy is, please let us know. We could uh, make a sort of a contest. Uh, yeah, it's a good it. idea. And if you want to let us know your favorite version or Sappy, or uh, let us know which songs you think should be on Bleach but are not, then you can uh, reach us by sending an email to uh, surewoodpodcast at gmail.com. That's surewoodpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can uh, find us on uh, facebook.com slash nirvana podcast. And I think this almost brings us to the end of um, this episode. But I have one more thing I'd like to uh, share with you. Because this is the end of our um, non-album tracks trilogy, you might say. Um, I put up a, a poll on uh, Reddit mm-hmm. about the uh, several uh, non-album tracks we've discussed and see what people on Reddit, on the Nirvana subreddit, um, thought was the best song to add to um, any of the albums. So for um, In Utero, uh, the winner is I Hate Myself and I Want to Die. Yeah. Marigold coming in second. Nice. Those two are quite quite close, actually. Got 338 vo- uh, votes, so cool. There's uh, there's that. Uh, for uh, Nevermind, the winner is not our big favorite old age, but verse, chorus, verse. The, the real verse, chorus, verse, not the real sappy. verse, chorus, verse. <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot of uh, votes uh, between them. Um, I also uh, tried to put up uh, a poll about Bleach, but for some reason, uh, Reddit wouldn't have it. Ah, okay. And probably the reason is that I don't really know how Reddit works. So <laughs> probably just me. And also it was kind of hard to explain our song selection. Somebody was really annoyed and said, no, you got it all wrong. And Big Long Now should be on there and Mexican seafood. And I get it. But then I had to explain, yeah, but this is for the podcast. And we already <laughs> did Incesticide. So we don't want to go over those songs again. <laughs> but uh yeah, I thought it was nice to uh, to hear what other people had to uh, yeah, think cool. uh, nice. had to say about it. So, do you have any final thoughts about these three uh, podcast episodes filled with tracks that never made it to an official album? I'm really happy that we did this because I think that we really got um, into more detail about some songs that even if we eventually voted them to not be included in the album, they are still interesting enough to listen to and to discuss and to like give an extra chance um so uh, i really hope that um um, our listeners uh, will uh, have heard some songs that they uh, they didn't know or didn't know that much about um and i think we can conclude in general that um the band made the right decisions in compiling their albums. Um, there's always going to be differences in, in which songs we like more or which songs we like less. Uh, but I think in general, um, yeah, they, uh, they made uh, good choices. Uh. Yeah, you can say that. And uh, also it's, it's cool to have some hidden gems in your catalog. Yeah. And uh, that gives us something to do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Check them out. Try to bring them to the forefront a bit. A, a bit. Uh, and it also proves that Kurt was very productive and very creative. Yeah. And 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 yeah, he came up with enough songs to fill two more albums, yeah. I think. And it's kind of a shame that there some of them are not released or only on the the big box set instead of just 
make an incesticide part two. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. That would have been really good to have a, an incesticide part two, definitely. Yeah. Luckily, we've uh, corrected uh, that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think uh, that's it uh, for today. Yeah, it is. But we will be coming back, right? Yes, we will be coming back. We don't know what we're going to talk about uh, <laughs> next time, but we'll, uh, we'll have a discussion about that. And uh, I'm sure we'll be back uh, soon. Um, I already uh, told the listeners how they can reach us, so I'm not going to do that again. But I do want to thank uh, Joop Hulleghi for uh, providing our uh, theme music. Uh, and of course, I want to thank you for uh, joining me once again. Yes, thank you for having me. And uh, to everybody uh, out there, I'd like to say uh, take care. And hopefully you'll tune in next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.